setting the bar pretty high there, Ben. <laughs> we hope that it absolutely is. Thanks so much. Thank you for that. And, and Brooke and Steve, thank you so much for, for leading us in worship so far this morning. It's been a blessing to have you with us here. Uh, and we are truly excited today, as, as Ben has been saying, excitement is in the air. Because uh, this is the start of a new sermon series that has been a long time in the coming. As I mentioned a few weeks earlier, a little longer than we expected in coming. But as we have been prayerfully discerning, researching, discussing, having town hall meetings, all sorts of conversations over, over a number of months. Because we want to make sure that we clearly understand what it is that we are moving forward into. And so this new series that focuses upon our new mission, our new vision, and our new values statements, we're calling Merge. Now this word merge is intentional. Because it's based upon a belief that God has already been at work. Before we even started asking the questions, God has already been at work preparing and priming us for what we think, and we've been saying, is an exciting future in the days ahead. But we have a choice to make. We need to make a choice and a decisive action to join him in what he's already doing. We, we need to merge with his will, if you are. And the image that we have here is, is something like, kind of like a freeway. And we all, a lot of us will drive the freeway to come to church or to head to work or to school tomorrow morning. And as you see that freeway, there's, there's a flow of traffic. It's moving. It's going places. And if we want to get in on it, we need to make a decisive action. We know that we can't just expect the freeway to come join us at our speed at our side roads. We know that we can't just sit at the side road with our blinker on, waiting for someone to let us in. That how do you merge with a freeway? You need to speed up on the on-ramp. You need to speed up and get with the, the flow of the traffic so that you can merge with what's already happening. And that's just sort of a bit of an analogy of what, of what we're trying to explain we're moving towards as a church, as we're discovering and discerning what God has already been up to as we merge more and more closely with him in his will, in his future for the church here. This isn't to suggest we haven't done anything to be about his will. We, we certainly have. Uh, before I even arrived, there were wonderful things happening in this church. And since the last two and a half years I've been here, we've been taking steps closer and closer towards that. Today is not necessarily about starting that part. It's about continuing that. And part of our continuation of that is to have some common language. Some common language we as a church can use to explain what do we mean when we talk about discovering and joining God in his vision and in his mission for us here at West Meadows. And so as we begin this series, that's the first word I want to talk about, mission. When we say the word mission, what do we mean? What does that word mean? And what language are we going to use here at this West Meadows Church to describe mission? Now, you're probably familiar with the idea of mission statements. If you've walked into a store, a medical clinic, uh, if you've gone to a nonprofit of some sort, either a storefront or even to their websites, there's a really good chance that you have seen somewhere prominently displayed that organization's mission statement. Now, some statements are stronger than others, but all of them are an attempt to answer the question, why do we exist? They're all an attempt to give some sort of insight into to what is the purpose behind all of this. And so our goal, and, and the goal of these other organizations, is to answer that question for as many people as possible in as clear and concise a manner as we can. And it's not just to define a single department. It's not a statement that just defines one single ministry, like we have a, a missions ministry. This is a statement, this is a clear, concise statement that is a core aligning principle of the organization. You can see it... <clears throat> 
in terms of it being like our north star, of it being the compass that directs us into the future, as being the heartbeat of the organization. Some people could refer it as to the mandate that we have that defines why we exist as a church. But here's the challenge. This is the biggest challenge when it comes to mission statements that all organizations have, is that there is a myriad of people who are going to hear it and use it, and somehow you need to find a way that, that it relates to their different ages, their different backgrounds, their different cultures, their different biases that they bring with them, and yet it still registers with them and carries the truth of what they're trying to be about. To give an example of how difficult this actually is, I'll use an example here of a couple years ago when, when podcasts started to become very common, very familiar to a lot of people. But there was confusion around what exactly a podcast is. Uh, when we talk here about your ability to go to westmeadows.org or to subscribe to us at, uh, at iTunes or at Google Play for our podcasts, you may hear those words but not totally understand what that is. Uh, it's a growing familiar term, but some people are still confused by it. So a couple years back, an organization was hired to come to an understanding of what is a podcast. And they put together a survey that asked one simple question, very, very simple question. It was this, explain podcasting in 10 words or less. And so they compiled all sorts of answers, and, and here's a sample of some of the answers they got. One answer was, uh, podcasting is to radio what TiVo is to TV. Another one was, uh, was ham radio for the internet. Uh, a third option. Portable, audio, people, connections, open, music, thought, fun. Which led to the fourth one, it's a fad I really don't care about or even want to understand. And then a fifth one, on-demand radio distributed over the internet onto mobile devices. Here's the challenge. Depending upon your experience with podcasting, depending upon your background, your interest in this technology, these definitions individually will be more or less helpful to you. Most people found that the first one was, was not helpful at all because it's too technical. In order to understand this piece of technology, I need to understand this piece of technology, TiVo. The language was too technical. Others found that some of the language that's used in some of these statements was uh, too dated. I, I'm going to guess that some of our youth have no clue what a ham radio is. No idea. Do you eat that? Is it an Easter thing? What's, what's the deal with the ham radio? Right? The third option, it was just too creative. It... it I don't know if it communicates anything. It's just, it's just too creative, which actually led to the fourth one, which was frustration and a lack of engagement. Going, well, if I can't understand what it is, I'm just going to check out. But people did find that the fifth one, while it didn't work for everybody, the fifth one actually did help to describe what podcasting is, on-demand radio distribution over the Internet onto mobile devices. So the challenge for us is to find this clear, concise and compelling statement that describes what the church is ultimately supposed to be about and doing so for the myriad of people that we are going to be coming into contact with and the myriad of people that exist in this room right now and that exist online and in, and in their homes that are going to be using this statement to define why we exist. Now to begin answering this question, we don't actually start with West Meadows. We start with what is the mission of the church of Jesus Christ. Because no church, when they start looking at a mission statement, starts with a blank slate. You see, we all have divine orders that were given to us by Jesus Christ. And these divine orders are found in the final words that he spoke to his followers right before his ascension. Matthew uh, chapter 28, in this passage that's referred to as the Great Commission. You, you may be very familiar with it. 
Now last week we were talking about how at certain moments in Jesus' ministry, he would tap his followers on the shoulder. And he would say, come join me in the mission. Come be a co-worker with me in the mission. Now we find here in this co-mission a description of what that is. And this is what he says in Matthew 28. He says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Now our mission is not something we create. Our mission is anchored in the commands and in the mission of Jesus Christ himself. So whatever clear, concise, and compelling statement we come forward with, it must retain the three critical elements of this statement. It must continue to be anchored in this statement. It must continue to talk about how we are to go to the nations because we are a sent people. It is true that, that, that Paul and elsewhere talks extensively about how we are to be together. We're to be unified. We're to be the body of Christ gathered together. But if we look at the entire teaching of the New Testament, it says the mission is out there. It says we are to be together, but we're to be on mission together. It says that we're to be making disciples because we are a multiplying people. Now, we love how we are growing in young families, and young families are having kids, and we're, we're growing in that regard as well. But that's not what we're talking about here when we talk about being a multiplying people. We're talking here about being disciples who make disciples, which is actually the truest definition of a disciple, is a disciple who makes disciples. So that as our church grows, the kingdom of God grows because we're having spiritual offspring who are people choosing to do life with Jesus when previously they hadn't. Then the third aspect we see up here is this idea of, of teaching and baptizing people because we are to be a transforming people. We are to be in influencing people, bringing the good news of Jesus Christ where they go from one state to a new state. And so that through our words and through our actions, we share the grace, truth, and love of Jesus Christ. And people by that come to accept him as their Lord and Savior. You see, we carry holy orders from Jesus himself. And our mandate is to champion the cause of his kingdom. So what clear, concise, and compelling way will we here at West Meadows communicate this to the world? What way will we here at West Meadows communicate to people within the building and the community around us that we are a sent people, that we are a multiplying people, that we are a transformational people? Well, after much discussion, prayer, and agreement amongst leadership of the church. We encourage you as the people of West Meadows to see our mission, to be to invite people to experience a life that is better with Jesus by living out his grace, truth, and love. Our mission is to invite people to discover a life that is better with Jesus by living out his grace, truth, and love. You might be thinking, Pastor, that test you used a minute ago, can you say it in 10 words or less? I can because I want us to continue to grow to be a body of believers, to be a people who have a personal experience and a passion to say that life is better with Jesus. Because life is better with Jesus. And so for the rest of the time that I have today that is slipping by, let me take some time to break this down and show you how this statement aligns with the Great Commission expressed in a language for today's world. First of all, when we talk about our sentness, this idea that we are, we are, it relates to us inviting people to experience Jesus for themselves. 
Now, one amazing snapshot that we see of this concept is, is found in John chapter 20. Begin in verse 19. This is, this is post-resurrection. Jesus has raised from the grave. The disciples know it. And starting John 20, verse 19, it tells us that the disciples had gone and locked themselves in a room. See, they had seen that Jesus had died. They saw what the leaders and people had done to him. And so now in fear, verse 19 says, with doors locked out of fear for the Jewish leaders, they've closed themselves off. They said, they, they've killed Jesus. They're coming for us next. And so as they're in this room, Jesus appears among them. And seeing their trouble, he says the words to them. He says, peace be with you. Now, as you can imagine, they'd be startled. Because we're in a locked room. Nobody's coming in. No one's going out. And yet, here he is. And, and so after they're started, but he says the words they need to hear. He says, peace be with you. And then he proves to them that it's that him. He shows them his hands and he shows them his side. And as the joy starts to well up within them, as they start to realize that we are with Jesus, and that joy comes back, and the hope of living with him comes back, that experience of being with Jesus starts to well up within them, he then says something that they would have thought was outrageous. He then says to them, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Can you imagine? You've just seen your leader arrested, beaten, crucified, his body's gone. You're in fear for your life, so you decide the best thing you do is to huddle in the room, triple lock the doors, bar the windows, thinking at any minute they're going to bust in here and arrest us next. And then Jesus appears and goes, guys, let's get out there and get them. Let's go get them. And he calls them to this mission. He says, open the doors. Get out there. Latch your hearts to the lost and the dying world that you will find when you walk out those doors. Essentially, he's saying... I'm calling you to go. I'm calling you to go and share the joy that exists within you. This joy you felt, this overwhelming sense of excitement because you're with me. Take that out to the people. Take that out to them. So they can experience it for themselves. And this isn't an unfamiliar thing in our culture. I was just on, on Facebook the other day and I happen to have in rapid succession people who are asking for recommendations for things. I don't know if you've seen that feature on Facebook. If, you, if you're looking for a plumber, if you're looking for a hairdresser, a doctor, a dentist, you can put a post that asks for people to make recommendations. And people love doing this. But we do it in other areas too. If, if you see a good movie you like, if you go to a restaurant that you had good service and the good food, you can't wait to tell other people about it. You go tell your friends and your family, and you recommend that they should go and try that themselves. If you see a headline on the news you don't like, or if you see a TV show that offends you, we're pretty free to share that too amongst our friends and family, and, and for some people all over social media. For me, though, I'm a little hesitant. Because I'm thinking, well, and it causes me some anxiety. Because I'm thinking, well, what if they have different service than I had when they go there? What if they have different tastes in food, different tastes in music? What if they don't like the same movies that I like to? What if I make this recommendation and they go and then they end up judging me? This guy has no class. This guy doesn't know what good food is. Just because McDonald's brings it to your table now doesn't mean it's a high-class restaurant. What kind of movies is this guy watching? Is this guy even a Christian? Right? So we have these concerns about making these recommendations. And when it comes to inviting other people to experience Jesus, if we're honest, I, I kind of wonder, is this one of the reasons we're hesitant? Could it be that we're worried that they may not agree with us? That they would have a different experience than we had? That, that maybe they have a different taste in religion? And if it's different than us, then we're going to be judged. And we don't like that. 
Other people, it's a little bit different. Other people, they're just, they're not sure there's much to share. Some people don't know about this excitement and joy, this better life that exists with Jesus. And so they know that there's this command to go share, but, but what to share kind of eludes them. Because there's this need to grow in their understanding and their personal experience with the grace, truth, and love of Jesus to the point where they become overjoyed. For others, it's, it's fear. It's the sense that, well, it's all on me. I gotta say the right words. I gotta have the right presentation. I haven't got my notes written down. If they ask me a question, I gotta have an answer. Does my reputation match? Like they've seen me at work, they see me at school, but if I start talking about Jesus, is, is that gonna be like a whole new world for them, a whole new paradigm? Would they be surprised to know that I'm a believer? Whatever, whatever it may be, whatever that hesitation may be, I wanna remind you of this. I wanna remind you that you're not alone. That you are surrounded by a great crowd of witnesses here in this place, but also throughout history, who had the exact same fears, concerns, and challenges in their lives. And yet they took a step forward to go out through that door and latch their hearts to the world, the lost and dying world. But they didn't do it on their own power. You can see, nobody has ever gone on that mission alone, no one has ever gone on that mission under their own power. Because if we look at the full words that Jesus uses in the Great Commission, it, it says this. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. All his authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go. And surely I am with you. See, no one has ever gone on the mission alone. This is one of those tap on the shoulder moments we talked about last week where we are to go in the mission, but also in the power and in the presence and in the heart of the kingdom of God, which was the mission of Jesus. And so as the sent out followers of Jesus, we are there by multiplying people. Because as we go forward in that mission and with that message, we are inviting others to discover for themselves that life is better with Jesus. Now in the passage we just looked at, Jesus said the words, as the Father is sending me, I'm sending you. Now, that may have brought a question to your mind. How, how did Jesus, how did the Father send Jesus? He says, as, I'm, as I was sent, I'm sending you. Well, how did the Father send Jesus? In order to answer that question, we have to first understand that it is a missional statement. It's a missional statement, a missional question that we're asking. Which means we need to understand why Jesus was sent before we can understand fully how he was sent. And why was he sent? Well, John chapter 3, verse 17 clear, tells us very clearly that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He was sent to save the world, not to condemn the world. Now, when I meet people of no faith tradition, when I engage in dialogue with those who are kind of indifferent to the things of religion, this verse... Is, is surprising to them. Sometimes because they feel the condemnation of the church. But other times because they just had no idea they even needed to be saved. An examination of their life, if they were to look back at what they're pursuing, what's happening in their lives, if they were to make an itemized list, it really amounts to the things that are most common to humanity. That based upon the voices of the world and the voices that are spoken into their lives and culture, they've come to the point of defining the good life as, as you find yourself a life partner, you get a career, 
have a couple of kids, buy a house, seek comfort, get secure, and, you know, and just indulge a little every now and then. It's okay. It's good for everybody. Just to indulge a little bit every now and then. And these become the measurements. These become the marks of finding a fulfilling life. I think that's why a lot of people idolize celebrities so much. Because if those are the marks of a successful life, fame, security, comfort, possessions, if that's the marks of a fulfilling life, then the celebrities are winning. They're the ones that are way out ahead of everybody else. But even the wealthiest, most successful, the most well-traveled, the person with the nicest house on the block, the best behaved and dressed kids on the block, even those people, if you get them to be honest with you, there's a piece missing. There's a piece missing. A famous actor, comedian, and uh, Canadian content for the day, Jim Carrey, was quoted as saying, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. This quote from a, from a secular celebrity speaks to the fact that people are searching for something. That people have this innate sense within them that causes them to go, is there more to life than this? This quote also hints that the answer is not found in the pursuits of the world. That there needs to be something beyond ourselves, beyond this world that we look to. Imagine if you would, that you'd always been told that the, the test of life was measured on a five-point scale. And so with that being the, the knowledge you've given and the way of life you've been taught, you go out and you work hard, you try to be the best person you possibly can, and you hit all the marks of success. And yet, from the world standards, you, you're, you're killing it. It's five out of five. But inside, you're like, why do I feel so fallen short? Why does it feel so empty? And it leads to frustration. And that frustration leads to a point of decision where you go, well, I, I, guess, I guess this lack of fulfillment is just normative. I guess that's just what life is. You just got to invest more in those things and hopefully you have this fleeting moment of indulgence where you feel okay. I guess that's what life is. It's just five out of five. But then along comes another voice that starts to speak into your life. And they start to add some truth to the feelings that you've been having. You see, all along someone's been telling you, it's measured out of five, and if you're out of five, that's 100%, but you don't feel like 100%. But then they reveal to you that it's not a five-point scale, it's a ten-point scale. And suddenly you realize, that's the problem. The world's been telling me that I'm at 100%, but I feel like there's only half the story there. And so you start wondering, where do you find that 10 out of 10 life? And the 10 out of 10 life is only found in one place. It's found in John 10, 10, where John 10, 10 says... Jesus says that I have come to give you life and that you may have it to the full. See, Jesus was speaking of a life that he came to make available to all people. This John 10, 10 life, this 10 out of 10 life where you can experience a fulfilling life. Now, as we start to change our views of ourselves and we don't stop listening to the voices of the world, the voices in our own head that say who we are, and we listen to who he says we are. We can have this fulfilling life now with Jesus as we start to view our relationships with others the way that he said we should. As we review our, our, our interaction with possessions and, and how we preview uh, tragedy and successes in our lives the way that he has designed us to. We can experience this fulfilling life eternally as well when we reach this point where we accept that we do need a savior. 
that we do need something beyond ourselves and turn from simply the measurements of this life and to understand that, that there is a spiritual question being asked there and only Jesus can fill in that emptiness that exists within us and turn from that way to start following him. And scripture says that at that moment we become a child of God. We become part of God's family. We become citizens of the kingdom of heaven as we've been talking about these past few weeks. We're going to talk more next week in particular excuse me, about what it means to, to have this new life and what new life looks like in our lives, in this church, and in the community around us. But the point I want you to take from this today is that no matter how well you are doing on the world's measurements, I can confidently stand here and tell you that life is better with Jesus. Amen? And so when the followers of Jesus, who are sent to invite people to experience a life that's better with him, we're not going out to talk about a new philosophy. It's not about a new set of, of rules for us to live by. It's an invitation to experience the transformation that comes from his power, of his grace, truth, and love alone. And see, that's the message, and that's the means by which we go forward. The message and the means by which we go forward is the grace, truth, and love of Jesus Christ. Now, in the opening words of John, in the book of John, where John is kind of writing an account of Jesus' life. One of the first things he does is he identifies these as the core qualities of Jesus. He says in John 1.14, We have seen the glory of the one and only Son, meaning the glory of God has come to us. We have seen that in Jesus. We've seen the glory of God in the Son, Jesus, who came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Full of grace. A word that's also interpreted sometimes as unfailing love. He's full of this unfailing love that says to you, even in spite of your sin, even in spite of the wrong things that you've done, in spite of the part of your life that you, you keep hidden from the world around you, the stuff that you, you don't want to share, the stuff that you'd rather just not deal with, in spite of all those things that you try to keep separate from your identity, but actually in your inner voice is defining you, in spite of all those things, I love you. His grace says, his unfailing love says, in spite of all those things, I accept you. But his truth says, I love you too much to leave you that way. I love you too much to just leave you there. Come and follow me. And through his grace and through his truth, we find a savior. We find one who can free us from the consequences of our sin. And also we find one who can be the Lord of our lives, where we can start walking in accordance of the instructions in this new way of living. We can find a life that is worth living. And we can live a life to the full now and eternally forever with him. See, the grace, truth, and love of Jesus is therefore the message, but it's also the means by which we go forward. It's the message because we are to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. We are to go as sent people and lead others to follow the commands of Jesus. Francis of Assisi was, was famously quoted as saying, preach the gospel at all times. When necessary, use words. Jesus said that they would know you as my followers by your love. He also said, go and let your light shine before all the people. You let them see your good deeds. Not so that they look back at you and say that you're a good person. Look how awesome that guy is. Look at all of his good deeds. No, that's the world's measurements. That's the five out of five life. He says, go let your life shine. Let them see your good deeds. Why? Because then they can glorify the Father and find a 10 out of 10 life. That's the message. But we can't just go forward with bold words if there's no love and action to back it up. 
Because without the love and action, the message just falls flat. The grace, truth, and love is also the means by which the transformation takes place in a person's life. It's the message, but it is also the means. Because it is the only way by which a person is set free. See, all of us have sinned. Every single one of us. All of us have fallen short of God's standard, of his glory, of God's perfection. We've all done things that are wrong. We've injured other people. We've wronged other people. We've been wronged by other people. We've been injured by other people. But all, all of these interactions that, that injure each other is also a violation of God's commands, of God's holiness. And therefore, there's a separation that exists. And, and because we carry this, this guilt, there's a punishment that's deserved for it. But the beautiful thing is that while we were still hostile to God, while we were still his enemy, while we were completely unaware we even needed a Savior, God sent Jesus to take that penalty, to pay that price for us. That is the grace by which we are saved. It is the unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor of God. And the truth of the matter is that when we accept that gift of salvation that Jesus made available for us, a transformation takes place where we have a new name, we have a new identity, we have a new destiny. And we have a new mission. And that mission is to go and to share that life with everybody that we come into contact with. Through word, but also through actions. So they can glorify our Father. See, in the Great Commission, when Jesus talks about go out and baptize people, he's not just primarily concerned about getting people in the tank and out of the tank, just getting into the water, out of the water. What he's talking about there is what baptism symbolizes. He's saying, go out and baptize people because if you baptize people, you have a person in your hands that you are putting under the water who has chosen to surrender their life to Jesus. He's saying, if they get to the point of baptism, you've shared the message. They've received it. They've humbled their lives. They've come to the point to publicly declare to all. They've started the mission to declare to all that life is better with Jesus. Declare it through the waters of baptism. See, baptism is an outward expression of an inward reality, of a transformation that's already taken place because of the grace, truth, and love of Jesus Christ. So as we put this all together, we here at West Meadows have a mission. And our mission is to invite people to experience a life that is better with Jesus by living out his grace, truth, and love. And so as of today, as you go out into your schools, as you go into the community, as you go to your workplaces, as you go throughout, and somebody asks you, what is that church about? That, that church you go to, what is that church about? Pastor Luke, when somebody asks you, what is that church about, what are you going to tell them? Yes. Who are the people over there about? The people who go to that church, they're people who are just growing and understanding that life is better with Jesus. And I pray that we truly are. That we may continue to grow in that knowledge and that personal experience that we have for us. As we start to, to close this part of our service, I want to invite you if you would stand for a moment in preparation for a word of prayer and our, our closing song. But as you do, you know, as you hear those words, that life is better with Jesus, I, I know there could be something happening in your life that is causing you a difficult time to say those words. That maybe there's a, an experience you're going through, a challenge, a, a question a fear and anxiety. 
I just want to pray for you in these closing moments if that is the case. That you'll come to experience that even in those difficult times and moments, we can still declare that life is better with Jesus than any other option that the world may offer. That any other philosophy or religion may offer to us. If you are here and you've actually never taken that step and you hear about this 10 out of 10 life that Jesus talks about. But you know you have not personally taken that step. I want to pray for you as well. And in both cases, I want to invite you after the service to come forward to our prayer team here and to speak with them. That they can go deeper with you. And what does it mean to walk with Jesus, to discover that life? And the rest of us who hear those words and say, yes, that is the language of my heart. I want to pray for you as well that we will go forward in a deeper understanding and awareness and use of those words. That people will come to understand for themselves. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you that, that through the gift of your son Jesus, that it is true there is a life beyond, beyond what we know in this world because of you. And it is better. Because life is better with Jesus and any other option that exists now and eternally. God, I pray that, that those words, that that sentiment, that that idea, that that reality would take deep, deep root in our hearts and minds. It would become part of the language we use in conversations around the church, but around the community and our workplaces and schools as well. God, as I pray for those who are here who, who may have a hard time with those words because of a situation they're going through, whether it be in family, within themselves, the situation, health-wise, God, I just pray that your presence would, would just fall afresh upon them, that, that your peace would overwhelm them, that you would remind them, Lord, that you love them in the midst of those storms, and that because of those things, we know that life is better with you than without you, even in the midst of the storm. God, for any here who have not taken that step of faith, I pray, God, they'd open their hearts and lives to the first step. And say, thank you, Jesus, for taking the price, taking the punishment that I deserve, for paying that price, and instead giving me love, giving me your grace. Help me to walk in your truth from this day forward. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.